0: What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Get In The Castle Game with KK. Did I get it right?
1: You got it right. I got my own
0: podcast name right. Crystal literally sits here and stares at me like like I'm a piece of meat and she's a lion in the African jungle and just ready to be like if you move, I'm going to crush you.
1: Do you have a problem with that?
0: No, I don't. And by the way, this is episode 117. What's up Crystal?
1: not a lot. It's funny because we were just uh, about to get on this episode and uh, the girls in the office were like, are you gonna do your podcast intros looking like that? So, uh, so I guess the answer is yes.
0: Mondays and Fridays, I work out with you. So I come to the office really early. So if anybody doesn't know me, then, you know, I get up early, come to the office. And How early I, is early?
1: Just tell the people.
0: This morning I got to the office at 4.45. Okay. Before probably most people even open their eyes think about waking up yep and uh and i run to the gym and then we drive back here and so monty's like we need to record these and so we did it but today's actually wednesday because we're getting ready to go out of town for once which is nice we need a break but anyways um yeah and the girls were talking about our outfits but guess what we have so much great information to give you guys that doesn't matter what we're wearing
1: at least we're wearing clothes yeah yeah Um, today we have Ahmed Serafi on the podcast and, uh, Ahmed is actually part of a mastermind that Kenny is also
0: Avengers real estate mastermind.
1: Yeah. He's part of that mastermind. And the, honestly the mastermind is really cool. I honestly never understood masterminds uh, to begin with. I just, I I didn't get them. And we talk about it a little bit in the show, but basically there's just a lot of value because it's a lot of very successful people who have a lot of the same interests, which is basically growing their brand, helping people, growing their business, generating wealth, all those things. So I, you get to kind of like literally do these breakout sessions with small groups of people and you help each other with your problems. And that is probably the most valuable thing out of the groups. You just can't put a price on that. If you can come home and implement something in your business, that's going to help you increase your income, scale your business, whatever it is that your goal is. So, um, anyways, Ahmed and Kenny are in the same group together. We, we
0: were in the same, we were in a breakout room, yeah, and I was listening to a story. It's hard because there's a hundred people there, so you know, you're there trying to meet everybody, and honestly, uh, everybody else has the same mentality, but they're, you know, like you basically jump, throw everybody in a room, same mindset, everybody's super open, super nice. Honestly, it's like how open and nice people are is amazing. Everybody's there to share, open up their, you know, their book of knowledge, right? Their book of secrets, whatever. And you could be sitting in a, in a breakout room with people that are way bigger than you way smarter than you and you get to ask them you talk about what's the biggest challenge in your business but they're actually saying this is the biggest challenge in my business and they're actually sitting there writing down notes the guy you go what what do you listen to me for because you might have a little piece of nugget that they didn't think about so we're in there and some people are like giving there's so much great information going around and then they you know you get to say that um one of the things i was talking about which i'll share with you guys is some of the breakouts was um scaling, growing, and then marketing. And so there's a lot of great marketers, but um, Ahmed was in mine, and he had a really cool story about um, his real estate and his journey and where he's at today. And um, the cool thing about him is uh, he's a builder. And so it's like the opposite of us, but um, it's more of a, you know, you buy the land, then you get it entitled and permitted and all this stuff. And then you get the money and then you build it. And then four years later you have this, massive project but you know what the cool thing about that is is that you've created along the whole time there is no cash flow but at the end there's a shit ton of equity in a lot of these deals and crystal and i've seen it when we've seen somebody you know build it and then you at the end we know what they pull out cash forever so it's a different model but obviously everybody probably listening here you've probably driven by one of these big buildings and you see a build, you're like that's crazy but if you looked at the end of it the amount of equity some the bigger the deal is the bigger the equity i mean some of these people are on a one deal I'm thinking, the lady we are talking about, is I think 10 million plus equity to take her a little long, but that's crazy.
1: Well, the strategy uh, here is, is a little bit of a long play, so it's interesting because even if you invest in one of these deals, you put your money in knowing that you're not planning on seeing a return of any kind for three or four years at least, but the returns end up to be greater. So I would say that you're taking a greater risk, just as with anything, I think the greater the, the risk potentially the greater the reward. Um, so you could risk losing everything and not making anything and losing your entire, your investment, or you could, uh, have a big win. So, um, that's basically Ahmed is a second generation business owner and developer. Um, he's, he's out of Riverside County. He's done a lot of projects. He actually started at CBRE when he was younger and he built it was schools, right? Like he was building a lot of different, th- lot of different yeah.
0: things. He's built a lot of stuff, took the knowledge, and then now running the family. He runs basically his family office. And the cool thing about him is he is not building to flip, they build, and this is a long term hold. So, obviously, we love that because this is he's basically building generational wealth for the next, you know, whoever's yeah. in line. and he's
1: got extreme, uh, he's got extensive experience. I mean, he's built, sold and developed over $500 million of real estate, and now he is actively looking for land out of state. Not shocking, I mean, most most people seem to be looking out of state these days, Uh, if you're in California, California. yeah. Yeah, Most of us Californians are looking to invest elsewhere uh, right now, but so he's strategically looking for land, um, and then you will learn a little bit more about what his focus is and where he sees the opportunity uh, right now for real estate,
0: so. Yeah, and it's cool because we dive into um, just about building, and it's it's not what we do, um, but uh, we know a lot of people that do it, and so the people that do it, that do it really well, they make a lot of money, and at the end of the day, is when you're done, you have a building that you built the way you want it designed, with the textures, the architect, you know, and also, it's done, and you're probably looking at very, very low maintenance for, what, at least 10 years, Crystal? Like, minimal.
1: Yeah, that's the big upside for new construction is uh, maintenance. It's very, it's a very predictable uh, model because once it's built, it's everything's brand new. Uh, overhead costs or maintenance costs are much lower, um, and you know it's, it's it's only new one time. I, I always say so. As you know, you have more tenants, you're gonna have more problems and stuff, but uh it is definitely a different model i think you can build a lot of equity this way especially in a world where uh, cap rates are getting compressed and people are looking for return uh nowadays it seems like no matter where you buy there's a ton of comp- competition cap rates are lower than ever i mean we're looking outside of california and you know if you go to texas you're looking at four caps still you know i mean in texas uh where there's no beach and, and there's no you know anything
0: and that's like cheap that. that's why hey crystal do you think typically like when somebody Builds these because we've seen it is they might have had to put let's say you got a project you got to put five million of your own money in or ten million or whatever it is if you have investor money and you get to that a lot of people too when they're done at the end of the four years and they fill it up they're getting a they can go get a great product because everybody wants to lend on that building especially in the right place right but they're potentially a lot of people are just cashing out and paying back all the money they put in and maybe then something they they take the cash and they go do it again and now they got to great asset with a great loan. It's spitting off cash. So typically a lot of people do pull out cash because they have so much equity they or do. the money they put in originally.
1: Uh, to a degree, uh, a lot of lenders are a little bit more conservative about that. Um, so they don't necessarily allow you to pull all of your cash out of the deal on the takeout. Um, there's just a lot of different complexities around construction too, just takeout financing and all of that, because You know how long is your lease up gonna take? You might have to get an extension on your construction loan and things like that. I mean, it it is a true business. This is not a side hustle, in my opinion. It is it is a real business. So there are like things to work on and work out and work through with construction, and I think we all know that. Like you know, having to kind of plan out what you foresee with the market and planning out your financing, and there's just a lot of different things, but. Uh, you can build a significant amount of equity. I would say that on the takeout, you can maybe tap into like 90% loan to cost. So you might still have about 10% of your cash left in a deal at the end. That's but then, pretty with, that's pretty amazing. And But then within a, maybe two years, you can refi and pull out a ton of money, uh, and maybe even 12 months. It just depends on the lender and the size of the deal. Some lenders have different seasoning requirements. but. Absolutely, um, you're going to build a ton of equity, and then also you're going to get a premium for new product as well uh, if you decide to sell. So.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, we're going to jump right in with Ahmed. Thanks for watching.
1: Ahmed, thanks for coming on. Can you just for everyone give us a quick breakdown on you know who you are and how you got into development? Just a quick story.
2: Yeah, no, I'll give you the uh, the five cent one. Um, so my name is Ahmed Sarafi, uh, Southern California-based uh, multi-family developer investor, and you know the quick and easy story is you know after college uh, over at Cal State Fullerton in, in Orange County, uh, I got a degree in, in finance and real estate. My uh, one of my instructors you know led me towards commercial brokerage. So I got in with a commercial brokerage company uh, at the time it was called CB Richard Ellis, CBRE now, and uh, doing. Office buildings and industrial buildings on the empire. Um, rolled through that, um, rolled into uh, large scale construction management after that, building, uh, being a part of the uh, building teams for like colleges, universities, high schools, elementary schools, all sorts of uh, public type buildings. Um, being part of the, the team that did those types of projects, you know, I was doing. 50 million dollars a year in work you know managing this company uh doing projects as large as 150 million million dollar high schools and things to that sort and then you know rolled out of that and back into the uh the real estate investment development business which you know i started with my father about 15 years ago but it's kind of a kind of a side business for me and uh you know i attended to it periodically as needed but now just it is time in the last few years taking that creating something big out of it something uh, substantial out of it versus it just being kind of a side hustle and turning it into a full-fledged investment development company now
0: wow that's cool i i know when we were in um well you and i met we were at the uh, avengers and then we were in a breakout room and then i um i remember you telling the story so i i couldn't remember all of it because there's so many people you met and stories you heard but um so what are you kind of like today right now what are you focusing on and then what are you what's kind of like on the horizon for you guys right now so right now I've got a, got a handful of projects here in Sunday
2: California that I am you know not actively building but I'm putting through the the planning the permitting the entitlements the uh, initial approvals uh, of those projects and this is land that we've picked up over the last you know number of years so right now there is you know approximately a handful of express car washes you know that's kind of like the uh, the daily bread and butter uh you know cat a list for the bigger projects and then i got you know a couple projects that are about eight to nine hundred units of multifamily, which are apartment complexes uh here in the American empire i got two three hundred unit projects that i'm putting through the paces of plans and permits and approvals and i got another one that i'm just starting negotiating on which seems pretty good for another 150 to 200 units as well. So working on those, putting those through the paces, getting them through, you know, the planning department and trying to get it to a point where I can say, okay, now I'm approved. I can go on and start construction. And at the same time, you know, I got to think about the future. So I'm out looking for land opportunities and that's getting really hard here in Southern California. So now I'm looking outside of the market to the Phoenix market and even potentially Dallas in the near future to say, okay, California is getting tough, a lot of competition, it's getting harder and harder to find the land opportunities. I am going to create a system and a product where I can take that and recreate it over in Phoenix, recreate that over in Dallas and continue on with the business that way. So you know right now it's about getting those projects over the finish line, managing the existing property that we have in the portfolio as well as filling up that pipeline for the next five to 10 years, because I don't want to go and compete with a bunch of other developers for some sort of suburban metropolitan piece of land or opportunity where there's 20 or 30 people developing or trying to get at it. I want to go out to the outskirts, the suburbs, and then get into something early where there's no competition. And then five to to 10 years from now, Urban sprawl comes to where that property is and now it's a valuable piece of land after five or ten years of holding it, but I bought it so cheap five or ten years ago.
1: What type of product are you building? Uh, is it like luxury or affordable or
2: so this is the this is where I'm trying to create a niche. So mm-hmm. as a developer, I have a lot of construction experience from you know, developing all those public projects in the past. So my niche that i'm trying to create is 55 plus active seniors so it's kind of senior citizen communities but not without uh any sort of assisted living or anything like that these are 55 and older they still drive they still work they still have social lives um but it's just kind of an age-restricted community which shows less turnover less wear and tear and a more stable tenant base. plus the amount of baby boomers who are you know retiring at a, at a pace and bringing that, that wealth with them and looking to downsize and get into a more manageable place because their children are now empty nesters and they only have the two of them or what it may be and they wanna get into something more affordable and something smaller to manage, so that's what it is. And the niche I'm trying to create with that is, as a builder, I'm able to do it cheaper than me going out and hiring contractors to do it for me. I'm able to save some of that money as a you know owner builder, or I'm doing the project management myself or, or somewhere in between, I'm able to reduce that contract or profit because I'm doing it myself. So I'm able to offer a luxury type product, but more at a A minus, B plus price. So I'm hoping to undercut the market just enough
0: where it gives me enough uh, visibility and enough clientele that they want to come to my properties because I'm a little bit below the luxury market, uh, but I'm still giving a luxury product. That's cool. Like I didn't remember. I couldn't remember. Uh, I don't know if we even talked about that, but that's cool. I think. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, like the Ken McRoy, Robert Kiyosaki. I know if you know who they are. Ken McRoy is the guy that does all the real estate for Robert Kiyosaki, kind of the guy behind him. But they've been focusing on somewhat of a product like that. I think in like um, Arizona area and stuff, because that, like you said, that demographic that's moving out. It's like they need that and plus if you're 55 you'd probably like to know there's 55 plus living with you you don't have to worry about a bunch of kids or you know college kids in their party <laughs> it's just, it's not what they want you know yeah. no it's uh, it, it, you know
2: it's for the longevity of things because you know I run and manage my family office so the properties that I build are not usually going to be for sale in five or seven years, like a, a traditional real estate investment developer investment firm where they keep properties for a certain amount of time before they spin them off and they run into they go into other properties or other developments. These properties are gonna be kept for the long term. So if they're gonna be kept for the long term in the, in the in the family portfolio for the family office, I wanna make sure that you know the clientele and the property and, and everything related to it is as minimal Maintenance and headache and work as possible because these are going to be kept for the long term. So that includes not only getting the right kind of tenants, but the right kind of tenant mix where people are blasting. Like you said, people are blasting music all night. And I'm getting a bunch of, you know, tenants calling me complaining because, like you said, there's, there's kids running around and causing mayhem or people, you know, having parties at two or three in the morning. I don't want to deal with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it for other people, but I don't want to deal with that for my property.
1: Yeah, it's a really good strategy. I also think, too, something that you mentioned is interesting is that you're not kind of the typical developer that kind of just builds these things and sells them and moves on to the next project. Um, I think that's one thing I see with developers a lot is just um, they're always broke. You know, like they kind of like do one project and they make a pop of income, they sell it and then they like go on and do it again and they get broke again. It's just this like constant cycle. So what kind of thing, because I, I, I tell this to people all the time, I think people own you know, apartments, and then they think they want to be a developer. I think there's like this kind of thing attached to it. It's like, I don't know, it's like maybe an ego thing or maybe it's like a success thing. Now I've owned apartments. Now I think I can be an apartment developer all of a sudden. So what kind of uh, things, like what's some of the biggest lessons you've learned or some of the things that you think are really important to being successful as a developer?
2: You know, being a uh, a developer is not I mean, people think of it as hard, but I tell people it's not hard, but it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean You don't
2: need to be a rocket science to do it, a rocket scientist to do it. You know what I mean? But you do need to check off all your boxes, run your numbers, do it twice, and check them off again to make sure you're not missing anything. You know, there's a lot of steps involved, but if you're able to check off those steps one by one, you're able to do it. You know what I mean? So it's not rocket science, but you just got to be diligent about following the the ABCs and one, two, threes of what you need to do about that. So if you want to get into de- development, you know, it's very daunting, you know what I mean? Oh my God, this is, I'm building a house or I'm building a building or building an apartment complex. Well, yeah, it can be daunting, but it's also daunting to eat, a, to eat an elephant all at once, you know, but if you break it down to the smallest pieces and that's where I go and I help people, I train people, I coach people when they get into this,
3: break it down to the smallest piece. You know what I mean? Where do you start? Okay. Let's start at the very, very beginning. You
2: know what I mean? Let's start with one piece at a time because it's the same thing as, uh, you know, those thousand piece crossword puzzles. They're Like, oh my God, it's a thousand pieces. I'm like, well, yeah, but if you start with one piece at a time and add one piece after that, and one piece after that, it's a lot easier. And at the end of the day, you have all your pieces completed and you have a completed project. So you have to look at it that way. You know, look at it as one step at a time. Don't try and run before you can walk that uh, mindset that you need to have.
3: That's a
1: good way to think of it. I think uh, uh, many aspects of real estate are, are sort of like that. Like you said, you think about all the things you have to do and you can get overwhelmed, but you just take it one step at a time and eventually you make it You make it to the end.
2: Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, like I said, cross your teeth, dot your eyes, make sure you're, you're doing everything right, you're running you're your numbers correctly, you're, you know, you're watching how you, you do things and, and, and not overstepping, and you'll be okay.
1: What are some of the biggest mistakes you think people make? Um, this is a good one, and um, I think some of you guys know Alvin Johnson. He was at yeah. Avengers with us. He's yeah. a developer from uh, Dallas. He's a good friend of mine. I just spent the weekend with him, and you know we, were, we had this discussion recently, and I have to you know give credit where credit is due, because Alvin you know, brought up a very good point uh, with people who are getting into the real estate business in general, is, People who get emotional with it, they fall
2: in love with it. They 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 start making decisions based on their emotions and not the facts, and that will get people into trouble. You know, it's like you walk into a house that like you want to buy or you want to build or you want to do something. Like, oh my God, I love this location. I love the view. I love this. I love that. Oh, we gotta have. We gotta do it. We gotta do it. Well, if the numbers don't make sense, don't force it. Because if you do, you're gonna get into trouble. Same thing with development or investment. You may find a property or a building or something that you want to buy or you want to build or you want to put into your portfolio or you want to start a portfolio with it and you fall in love with it or you fall in love with the notion of being an investor, you fall in love love with with being a landlord, landlord. you can't do that. You have to make sure it makes financial sense. Don't let those emotions sway your decision making because at the end
0: of the day, you may be coming out of pocket versus putting money in your pocket. Yeah, the other thing too. Um, I think what's going on now is uh, I always get your take on is people, you know, you're building and then COVID hits and then the cost of lumber. Let's pick that one for example goes skyrocketing, right? Um, obviously, you've you built a lot of stuff. So how do you how would you deal with something like that? You know, you get your plans, you get your money, it's great. Here we go, and all of a sudden COVID hits. You're like, what's going on? And then, you know, the guy from the Lumber College who says, hey, it's a million dollars more in your project, which I've heard some yeah. of these developers, like, it's kind of a punch in the face or gut. It is tough. tough, I mean, yeah. that
2: is tough because it's there's a lot of really hard outside factors that we can't control yeah. as developers or investors the or, yeah. or um, yeah. any people involved in this real estate business, so, such right. as COVID, like you said, or such as the act of God, which is, you know, in the South, you got typhoons and hurricanes and stuff like that, that you decimate, you know, towns and stuff. Um, but the thing is, what you can do is you can stop. You can put the brakes on things and say, okay, hold on. Something came up. It threw us off off track. Let's take time and figure this out. Can we raise rents? Can we, can we reduce you know some contractor pricing? Can, uh, is the market growing that will allow us to pay more for our materials so we can have this product? Maybe if we wait six months and, and the market goes up, it'll be justifiable. So you need to slow down, like I said a minute ago, you know, slow down, check off your boxes, write your numbers again, and make sure you can go through with something if something happens. And also have that reserve money as well. I see a lot of people get into it and they want to develop and stuff like that. And they don't plan to have reserves or backup money just in case something goes sideways because something always does. You know, I was just talking about a project that I was on. Uh, you know, about five, six years, five, six years ago, we're building a uh, culinary school and a performing arts building for a school district. And the architect and the engineer were, you know, kind of in, in the same building and they felt like they can do a good job. And before that job even started, before we even put one shovel on the ground, there was something like 150 to 300 change orders just because the plans were so bad, which made that 60 million dollar project automatically go up to 65 or 66 million dollars before they even started construction which blew the budget and luckily they had some reserves to cover that because they were smart enough to say hey we need to have a 10% backup we need to have 10% reserves just in case something happens now you know I think they were able to complete the project within that reserve amount but it you know it made things very dicey for a while because you know Something did happen. So a lot of people get into these projects, but they don't think enough about the reserves or the backup money they need to have because something may happen, and a lot of times something always does.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's I mean, we hear it all the time. It's just, I think I think that's a scary part for a lot of people. It's interesting you said, what you caught, caught me is, I like what you said is, just stop then, or just stop. Because it's we there's a developer here and he literally um he has a lot of money, owns a lot of units in San Diego. He does, you know, he buys some existing and then he also develops. And he had a big project over here in North Park and he just leveled the whole thing, got the loan, and he probably would have been fine. COVID hits, and I was talking to my neighbor who's the appraiser and he said, Oh, he just stopped the project, and we were like, Why would he stop? He's financially fine. And like you said, he's being smart going, Let's just hit the brakes. Let's see what yep. really happens. It's, are my costs going to go up or this? Before you just keep plowing ahead and you don't know what's going to happen. So it's funny you say that because literally that's what he did. And now you're like probably because he knows what the hell he's doing. and He's been through recessions or problems. And he goes, you don't just keep going full steam ahead and you have problems. Yep. So you know, You're right. You're 100% correct about that because I'd rather hit the brakes and pause for a month
2: or two or three or whatever it may be to, to get my bearings versus to keep pushing through something and start bleeding cash, bleeding cash, bleeding cash, because in our minds we're like, oh we need to finish, we need to finish, we need to finish, right? Well sometimes trying to finish will get you into more trouble than it is to break on things.
0: Yeah, I like that. Is there um why do you buy just are you just building now or do you, would you buy a c and make it a b or are you just kind of like i just love building and that's what i do
2: um so we so we have some properties in our portfolio that we bought out of phoenix so we had a couple hundred units that we bought out there that were you know b product um really stable long-term hold type stuff uh that we've improved over the years and if that opportunity comes across me it's yeah i definitely go after it because if it's you know multi in a good market and then c and it, there's room for upside with you know either renovations or rent changes or increases or things of a combination of that yeah i definitely look at that um but you know right now the market is so hot interest rates are like zero everyone's getting free money and people are just throwing money at uh investments to, just to get in there because the interest rates are so low they're trying to take advantage of it as well so it's kind of hard to find something like that with so much competition in the market. So I'm like, okay, well, I can be a little bit more competitive if I go and look for some land opportunities and build the product versus trying to compete with 20 or 3 or 50 other people to buy the product. It's a much longer time frame of, you know, buying land, entitling it, plans, permits and construction, but at the end of the day, the equity when I come out of the ground and that project is completed would be pretty substantial versus trying to buy something at the top of the market and paying top of the top you know top dollar for something and then
0: slowly building that equity and that cash flow versus going out and developing it myself. Yeah, what do you think some of the um like since you're building, what do you think the real like big value is in that? You know, I mean you just said that, but what else is great about developing? I mean obviously there's some obvious ones we can talk about, it. you got a brand new product, low maintenance for years, you've built it, so you designed it for, like you said, you're doing the 55, so you know it specifically it is, but what do you think somebody that's like might want to get in the building where they just bought a C, make B that they probably aren't thinking that's another value add for them doing this, going down this path? Yeah. Um, you know, if you buy C or B or something like that, there's still
2: a significant upside for you. You know, definitely, especially if you, you know, if you do it right. You know what i mean you got to think about if i put a dollar into this property what kind of yield will it give me and will it give me more yield than i would get putting it in the stock market into a bond or into this or into that you know what i mean so so like i said just because it's ugly or it's a c property or it's been mismanaged don't rush in there and do all these things to kind of clean up the property and bring it to to a better position What is your competition doing that you're not doing and what are they doing that is increasing the rents so you can increase your rents you know if your competition went out there and they painted all the buildings and they did all the landscape but they weren't able to increase the rents it may be a waste of money but if they went out there and they added uh, wash excuse me washers and dryers to all the units or they went out there and they created um, more revenue from you know preferred parking or garage space or storage space um that may be a better use of your money so don't just automatically think cleaning it up and doing this and doing that is going to raise your rents you have to be strategic about it what's your competition doing what's the market telling you to do what is your tenants asking for that you know you can increase your your rent that way because if you're able to do that you increase your bottom line and it puts more money back in your pocket so be careful about spending money right away because you need to do your homework on what is best as well
1: I agree, too. There's like a certain quality of tenants uh, that we see when we're in C neighborhoods, too. I mean, you have we're also careful about how much improvements you do, because sometimes your tenant base is just going to beat the hell out of it or they're not going to appreciate it or they're not willing to pay for it. And, you know, so then this idea of like quickly increasing your income, is going to be a long time to see that return if you see it at all after vacancy loss and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's really true. Uh, I have a question too, in terms of how you identify markets, like what kind of market research are you doing to identify, you know, Arizona and Texas and some of these other areas? So when I'm looking at those markets, um, you know, it, it's twofold. One, you know, I do what a lot of people do already. They're like, oh, look at the, the net migration. Look at the political
2: environment. Look at the ability to either buy, build, or invest there look at the you know, major companies moving and bringing an employment base with them. Cause you see a lot of companies leaving California, going to Phoenix, going to Texas, going to Nashville and these other markets. Um, you know, you also look at the the climate and the weather, you know, these are the sunbelt states. weather is always fairly, pretty good. People would rather live there than up north. Let's just be honest, you yeah. know, those are a lot of the basics I look at, but then I also kind of take into account, okay, my clientele that I'm pursuing to pursue, or I choose to pursue are a little bit older, 55 plus, you know, uh, most of the time, maybe I'll build market rate if the opportunity is good, but I'm trying to focus on that type of market. What did they like? Where did they want to go? You know, and a lot of times those people are, are saying, okay, we want to go live in a nice environment, you know, with good weather, uh, access to transportation, shopping, medical, you know, making our life easy for us. But these people are also looking and saying, okay, where are my, my children going to be and where are my grandchildren going to be? Well, their children and their grandchildren are going to go to places where there's an, where there's an employment, where there's a good quality of life, where there's a growth. So um, I also look for those because if a lot of people are moving for those reasons, uh, there's a good amount of their parents who would be following them as well and just be close to the family. So that's some of the things I look at, you know, right there.
0: Yeah, that's the truth. It's funny you say that. It's uh, we do financing too, so a lot of I see a lot of parents moving. Like we we need to buy or move because we want to move near the grandkids, it's like because they're in that retirement. And you're right, but the, their kids aren't moving to North Dakota. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's just like they're just yeah. That's uh, that's another little like niche. So I wanted to like ask you to pivot because um, I noticed in the background you had um, you've done some masterminds. Obviously, we're doing Avengers, but I also want to ask you, it's kind of like, that was my first one, actually. I've never done a mastermind. Um, super cool. You get to meet, like, amazing people. So, I was kind of like, you know, I knew can't Clothe the air from here, and he's like, just, you know, just show up, and I just show up, and I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like, I didn't know what to expect, but can you kind of talk about some of the masterminds you've done and kind of like how that's maybe changed your life or your mindset and things like that? Oh yeah, this is uh this is a topic I love, you know, because, um, uh, the Avengers was really my first true, true mastermind. The other ones were more entrepreneurial groups and stuff like that. Uh, but the first true, true was the Avengers that, you know, I made with you guys.
2: Um, so a few years back, you know, you kind of get to a point in your life, your maturity level, everyone's different that you're like, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to be better. You know what I mean? I want to live better. I want to be smarter. I want to try harder. I want to have a good life. I don't want to you know i don't want to die with any regrets or as little regrets as possible so you start looking at things and you know you run across uh bits and pieces of media and the first one that i really really ran across is andy Frisella and his mf ceo podcast and this is when i was you know working uh you know running the construction company and i was doing a lot of driving and i would listen to his podcast religiously i'm like wow this guy gets it mm-hmm. he's down to earth he's you know uh he did it himself he, he you know a lot of sweat and, sweat and equity went into him and his product versus you know trying to present something that wasn't really him like a lot of these other people do you know a lot of people will get on stage and they'll tell you a bunch of things but they've never done it before themselves yeah. you know what I mean I can tell you how many real estate gurus who get on stage in front of thousands of people and sell these courses that are thousands of dollars they've never done real estate yeah They're, information and regurgitating it. I'm like, okay. But then Andy has done
3: it. Yeah. And then and then he teams up with it at my left. I was saying at my left. I'm like, oh wow, you know, that's this guy's awesome. Turns out he he grew up down the street from me practically. Oh my gosh. He was like, yeah, he's like in the next city over. You know, I'm like, and
2: we have a bunch of friends in common. I'm like, okay, I never met this guy, but all my friends know him. And he's teamed up with Andy. I'm like, this is great. So I joined the Arctic case in the camp, which is Not necessarily a mastermind, but they call it a community because that one helped me get in the right mindset and frames. You know that I wanted to focus on. I want to be down to earth. I want to be true to myself, but true to myself, but really work hard at being the best person I can be, the best boss, the best leader, the best, you know, father, husband, son, whatever it may be. They put me in the right mindset of doing the work, you know what I mean? And I'm like, and I love that. And I love being around other people with the same mindset, because it's like walking into a room of a thousand of your best friends, you know, like everyone thinks the same, everybody wants to say, everyone is high-fiving you to, to do better and, and encouraging you. And I'm like, okay, this is the type of community I want to be around. You know what I mean? And it was amazing because it, it, surrounded me with the right kind of people that only encouraged me, but you know, made me want to try harder because I want to keep up with them as well. So i definitely joined that one um join you know the avengers like you said because that's really real estate focused and uh, a lot of uh, high level masterminding and thinking which is really you know important as well um i joined up with tony walkley and his 365 driven society because i see a, uh, an importance of becoming uh, proficient on social media and having a social presence and and becoming a better speaker and he's helped me a lot with that so tony uh, shout out to tony for my uh, better speaking skills and social media presence. And, um, and I just, you know, and now I'm trying to help Alvin out, as you know, uh, in Texas with his, uh, multifamily monopoly of just trying to help people understand and, and learn the multifamily investment development business, because there's really no information out there and the information that is, that people put out there is really not good. And he's really trying hard to bring a really quality product to the To the people about hey this is what you need to do this is the steps that i took not i'm not just telling you to do it but this is what actually works and creating a program
0: and a system for that so i enjoy being a part of that as well that's cool no he's a cool dude yeah it was interesting when i um i mean it just you kind of show up there by yourself the avengers don't know anybody but like you said is you're kind of like Walking around, you just when people will be talking in a circle and you just kind of hop in. You're like, most of the time, you can't just do that. But then people are like, oh, hey, what's up? And like you said, it's, it's, and when everybody's in the same mindset and they're really good people, it's amazing. Like just the conversation, just that alone can be a life changer. And then obviously, I think we all love the breakouts. Which I think you know, the feedback was is can we do more breakouts? Because I mean, I was yeah. like, we're done. No, let's keep going. Because I mean, we were in one; it was amazing. Dude. I mean, yeah. it didn't. I was telling people it didn't matter what level of success you were. People were still saying, "Here's what I'm struggling with," and then we all had answers. They're like writing down. i like, it's crazy how everybody in that room got something out of it, whatever walk of life level you're at. That was the most fascinating thing to me it's great.
2: You know, you know, I agree with you hundred percent and I just, my biggest thing is just being in a room like an venue with a hundred of your best friends and they all encouraging you and no one's trying to compete with you and everyone's sharing and everyone's high-fiving and, and it just like the environment is just really, really positive and productive and it's really, really you know, beneficial to me and I'm sure you guys as well.
0: Yeah. What's, um, so are you, I was going to ask you, um, are you going to, when do you think you would enter these new markets? Is this something that's like really far out? Or is this something that's kind of like in the next two to four years or?
2: It's uh, it's actually something that I'm getting geared up to. Like, so a big part of joining the Avengers and, and meeting you and the other groups is I want to learn how to scale this business correctly. That's a huge part of joining the Avengers. I didn't join to learn real estate. Yeah. I know real estate. You know real estate. Yeah. But I joined to to mastermind and be better at what I do and to learn how to scale. Because the guys at, at Avengers, um, they scale big businesses. Like you said, Kent Cody is across the country, you know, Cody Sperger is across the country, you know, Wagner is across the country, you know, uh, Bobby Castro is across the country. I'm like, okay, I'm local. I want to learn how to scale like that. I want to learn how to grow and manage a business and teams and products and developments in different markets, correctly without you know losing my shirt. So that's a big part of joining them is learning how to scale up. So now that I'm looking at these other markets, I'm putting you know putting the pieces together and in place to say, okay, you know I had a conversation with Peter about this. Um, how much do I need to keep in reserves? How much should I allocate towards new opportunities? How much should I keep you know for this and this and this? Because to me that's important because I don't want to like blow all of the cash on some opportunities that may or may not come in the near future. How much do I keep in my reserves? How much do I put towards this, this, and this? Because as you're expanding and I'm trying to expand out of my market into other states, it's really important for me to know how other people have done it so I can take that into account and formulate my plans the same way or at least similar to what they've done.
1: Yeah, I think that's the... A- so... Yeah, that's that's the hardest part, probably just kind of getting out of your backyard. The backyard becomes very comfortable, you know. You're just at home. Yeah. You can do a deal. You know the blocks. You know the areas. You know exactly what you need to do. Yeah, the and
0: brokers. It's like yeah. yeah.
1: and it's crazy because you have so much experience in your craft too that you can replicate it anywhere. Um, it's just, but I get it. Like your business evolves as you grow. Like you're not going to have the same business practices today as you will when you're in one different market or two different markets or three, whatever the case may be, it's just a little bit of a mind shift and taking that step. It seems like the Avengers group, I'm not really part of that. Kenny's Kenny's in it, but I, I got to like hear all about it. It just seems like being with professionals that are literally giving you their contacts, giving you their advice that they have, like those are the kinds of things that a lot of the coaching programs aren't giving you. They're giving you this like very blanket like information, you don't need that. You need the details. You need the how-to,
2: the step-by-step.
0: Or somebody you can call that's actually done it, like yeah. you said. <laughs> it's like, you
2: know, it's, uh, it's it's great because, you know, it's not for newbies. You know what I mean? It's for experienced entrepreneurs. And whether you're in real estate or not, you got to have some experience to get in there or to be a part of it to really benefit you, you know what I mean? Because I'm not going in and saying, okay, what's the concept of uh, – ROI return on my investment. You should already know that kind of stuff when you're in this group, especially with the amount of money you pay for. But it's all about okay, now let's see how we formulate and and refine these things. How do we how do we make it better? How do we take it five levels out? You know, like me and my growth expansion, okay. I used to think about what I'm going to do for this year. Now it's like, okay, what am I gonna do for the next five or ten years? And how do I plan that out? And and create actionable steps to take to reach those goals. You know, I didn't think about that before but not being around these groups, I'm like, okay, now I get i'm putting a a plan together, not for twelve months, but for the next 24 48 you know, five years and ten years out, because you gotta hit those goals. And I before I didn't have those kind of goals, and now I do, and because of being around guys like
0: um, quick question for you, um, I'm like drawing a blank. I had it, but, um, I'm the blank. I was going to ask you, cause I was listening. Um, it will come to me if you have one. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was just going to say too, I think, have you found, I mean, it seems like being in development in general, I think any business you're in though, uh, and talking about the level of tasks that processes are really important. And I think part of scaling is probably getting more complex processes and different processes to scale. Is that something that you've really refined in your business now? Do you feel like you've got a good process?
2: Um, I think that's something I'm working on right now, You know, especially being part of the groups and stuff that are helping me think that way. Um, but a big part of my business and the way I, I want to approach things that I'm trying to share and get other people to buy into is, is putting extra effort into this. You know I mean? Just don't do the normal, the average, or enough. I'm like, and I'm trying to get out there with a, with, you know, concept of building better. What's stopping you from doing what you do better? You know what I mean? What's stopping you from going an extra 1%, 2 or 5% past? You know, what's stopping you from taking an extra 10 or 20 minutes to review a development or, or an opportunity or a site plan or, or whatever have you to make sure that you are putting all the time and effort into something? that you can be proud of, it's going to be, you know, it's going to have the longevity to it, and people are going to see that and be like, wow, this person really did a good job. Because what I'm trying to do with my projects is, I want the people to move in, or they come for a tour, or they or they think about it, and they walk in, and like, wow, this place is amazing. Not because it has some uh, amazing, you know, design and colors and, and gingerbread and stuff like that, but because I thought about it, and I put the time and effort into it, it to do it better. Meeting. The design is better. The flow is better. The technology is better. The the amount of comfort is better. The long, uh, the quality of construction is better. You know, when you close the door, you know, like wow, this is made well. Or when you you know walk in and you can see pieces of trim, like wow, they made sure they did a good job with kind of stuff. They didn't buy cheap material. They bought good material. You know, it doesn't have to be most expensive. It has good, and they put it in right and they've done it correctly, meaning. You know those people are going to walk and say hey i'm happy to be here i like living here i like shopping here i like whatever it may be because i did a good job i went above and beyond what i should have to create a better product and by doing that people are going to stay they're not going to move out they're not going to they're going to speak positively about it to their friends and family that in terms is going to bring more people to that property or that project so i want to create that that mindset that mentality that hey this is a better built better thought out, better run, better managed building than everyone else, just because I'm putting in a little bit more effort than everyone else. I'm putting in a little bit more effort than the market demands. I'm putting in a little bit more effort than I need to, to have, you know, this quality of product or this building or whatever it is that I'm doing, or even a friendship or a relationship. I'm, I'm building that better. That's what I like.
1: I love that, and if, if somebody hasn't already taken it, like build better would be, I think, the name of something you're gonna do. <laughs> yes, cool, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It rolls off nice, right? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, working on it. There sure. you go. Um, what I was gonna ask you is about um, you're running your family office, so it's kind of like it's funny because I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's you know it could be some guy that's just yeah you know, stock market or developer, but you know when you run the family office, you're taking on that responsibility. So it's a big role because, you know, it could have been generations before that built something up and then you're taking it over and there's a lot of assets, money and stuff. Um, I was just gonna say, if somebody doesn't really understand, you know, they don't have that. Somebody might be like, well, I have investors or I have this or like, I don't have any money, I've gotta go raise it all. But when you have a family office, I was gonna ask you like, how's that dynamic a little different, you think, than somebody that's like a syndicator or something else maybe?
2: Well, you know, it is a little bit different, you know, but everyone needs to understand that everyone really is a family office, but they're just not thinking about it that way. Because look at you guys. I mean, you have your own money into investments and developments and opportunities. That's family money. So that's technically a family office. You know, if you really want to think of a big family office, you you think about, you know, the, the Walton family, you know what I mean? Yeah. From Walmart. It's all family money. They still own it. Um, and what do they do with that money? They invest it, they put it in the store. Whatever they do, that's family office money. Um, so if you have your family involved in it in any way whatsoever, whether it's an uncle, an aunt, or a brother, or sister, that's technically a small family office. And by having that, you should also have the level of respect to maintain that money and maintain those investments to the best of your ability. Because that's not only for you you, or for your wife, or your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, but that's for your whole family. And you want to make sure you have the mentality that, hey, this is really precious. This is their nest egg. This is their retirement. Whatever it may be, I need to go above and beyond to make sure I do the best job possible for them, because this is not only a return on their investment, but this is their livelihood. This is their retirement. This is their grandkids' uh, inheritance, things like that. So, you, you know, it goes back to building better. I want to do a better job at managing this versus if I just had a bunch of investors and I give them their standard 7 or 8% return, they're happy. And that's all I need to do. You know what I mean? I I believe you should do better than that, especially when it comes to family money, because like a syndication, Hey, you get your preferred 7% return, 8% return, you get your 80% ownership, whatever it may be.
0: As long as they get that, they're going to be happy. To me, with family money, I need to do better than that. I need to provide longevity and security for them as well because i'm going to do more work to take care of them and their assets than anyone else nice i like that answer um i was going to ask you who do you like for somebody that might be getting development just from your point of view who's super important that's on your team too like from your point of view in real estate who are the important key players on your team um a couple people i think i think it's really good to have a real good uh relationship with uh, lenders, bankers. And I've just recently started creating those,
2: you know, because if you have a good relationship with a banker or a lender, um, that's more than just your average person in the branch. They're gonna look at your business differently. They're gonna look at your business as something that's really important to you and they're gonna do whatever they can do to help you. And in doing so, they'll also tell you our bank, our institution is not for you. And if this is what you want to do, you should go somewhere else because they have have a, a, a vested interest in you and your business as well. And as being honest about that as well. So I have a banker at B of A and one at Morgan Stanley that are very honest with me saying, Hey, you know, we want your business for this or that, but we're not the best at it. You need to go here. You need to go there. We'll continue having your business in this product or this investment or whatever, because we're good at it, but for this, You gotta go somewhere else. And so having that kind of relationship where they can be honest with you is really, really important. And um, so that's a big deal. And you also need a good field person. You know what I mean? Like a superintendent or a project manager or someone who is out there in the field and they're looking at their job as more than a job, but it's um, a responsibility. You know, whether you have to pay them extra or create an environment where they see your product is something that is important to them. They're going to do a better job at it. They're going to take more pride in it. They're going to do a better job, uh, treating your customers and and, and tenants better. Because I've had people close to me who treated the tenants poorly and that hurt me and my business. So it's, it's important to have that person you can trust who's out in the field, who, you know, will go above and beyond what needed. Because they have a, a sense of responsibility and a sense of pride and a, and a relationship with you where, where they, they see you as more than just a, as, a, as a boss, but as a friend and and, that,
0: and someone they can work with, you know, in the future, not just a paycheck type relationship. No, that's cool. Um, I've got two more questions. Last one before we always ask the final one is if somebody says that's your buddy, hey, I want to get in the real estate game right now. You know, and I'm sure you get the question a lot. What should I do? It's expensive. Should I buy a four unit? What are, you, what are you telling people that are asking you that question? Um,
2: you know, if I had to get into this again and start all over again, I would definitely, you know, you've got to have a day job that makes some money, etc. You know, you have to. You can't get out of that. You need that catalyst. You need that cash flow somewhere, somehow. But I'm a big, big fan of two to four units. Big fan. And here in Southern California that's kinda of hard to do. But outside of Southern California, there's more opportunity to do that. And why that is, is because everyone can get into it. It's a single family home loan. You can you can easily house hack it by, you know, buying a fourplex, living in one and renting out the three, and then you know, your mortgage is practically paid for. It. Um everybody wants to buy one, everybody wants to invest in one. It's really easy to get into that business for investors and who want to put their money into real estate. So if I was to start all over again, I would really become a a market expert on two to four unit type properties. And whether that's renovation, investment, development, ground up, anything related to two or four units in, in markets that are good, I would definitely
1: become an expert at that and pursue those opportunities. It is a good stepping stone to kind of get your feet wet and start understanding the market and not bite off more than you can chew. Um, it's a, it's a good education and you know, what other education can you get that actually pays you to learn? So that's great.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we tell people too. I would say here in San Diego, like, Oh, I want to invest for I'm like, why don't you just buy a four unit, live in one and went they free. Like I might get the cash flow. I'm like, you're living for free. They're like, Oh yeah, that is cap. I'm like, yeah, it's paying for you. Um, the last question, uh, we have is, um, what, what is your definition of generational wealth? Oh, wow, um, that's a good question, you know. I mean, I guess I subscribe to the
2: standard definition of, you know, you know, assets and, and property and stuff that goes from generation to generation, just continue to create and grow and expand whatever you've started, you know what I mean, that's for sure. But generational wealth also includes, to me, mindset and, and attitude and, and, um, and a responsibility because, you know, I don't have children right now, but, you know, you know, God willing, one day I have children. I would like to have my children continue on with the mindsets that I'm learning right now, the, the responsibility that I have to the family and to the business, the, um, the, the respect that I have to others and other people in the business and, and the people around me as well, my family members. So generational wealth, yeah, definitely it's money and assets, but it's also mindset, respect, and, and and the way you conduct your life and the way you live your life. That's a big deal for me. And I'd like to hopefully take everything that we're learning in the Avengers or art and, and just in life in general and passing that down to other members of my family and having them just continue and continue with that versus turning into some sort of family that's a bunch of tyrants and you know, <laughs> pushing people around, pushing people around Yeah. 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 Well, hey, yeah, I, I inherited a bunch of money, so I'm going to be a complete jerk. No, that's <laughs> not the way
3: it
1: works. you were probably a jerk before.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 Well, I love that definition of generational wealth. I, I love that it's kind of like, you know, people say health is wealth and, you know, other things like that. But having that respect and that kind of love for your family and what you do and uh, the in- your integrity is, is definitely wealth. Uh, that's a really good way to look at it.
0: Where, if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you, where's the best way to find you? Um, I'm really big on Instagram, you know, Instagram, I'm on all the time.
2: Um, it's Ahmed, the real estate developer, pretty easy to find. And I'm a, I do a lot of clubhouse now too, because, you know, it's just a great way of not only learning, you know, I'm. Understanding and figuring out why there's really a lot about this real estate business I don't know about so Clubhouse is really great So you can find me in Clubhouse. I host a room three days a week about kind of real estate development 101 How to get into the business, things to think about, things to talk about, you know, basic term terminologies and processes and stuff like that So Clubhouse you can find me
0: uh, under the real estate development room or uh, amidst Seraphia Fairly That's cool. uh, so um, awesome. How's it in your lane join the Clubhouse? Really? What's that? You're enjoying the clubhouse a lot?
2: Yeah, you know, it's kind of like it's really good uh, to kind of have playing in the background because, you know, you just pick up a lot of stuff that you didn't really know or really understand because, you know, you jump in the rooms about social media marketing and it's just the amount of free information that comes out of there like, wow, that's really great. This would cost me so much money if I wanted to go hire somebody. Or in the real estate rooms about syndication or Airbnb or or fix and flip or wholesaling or development or construction like the amount of information you learn would cost you thousands and thousands of dollars elsewhere if you had to go pay for it and people are just giving it freely which is really amazing that's why I love it so much
0: awesome that's good well we appreciate the time thanks for coming on Uh, um I enjoyed the chat that was awesome and then hopefully I know you mentioned hopefully we can Meet up soon. I know May's coming oh, yeah. quick for Vegas, but it'd be cool to get for us to get together here in SoCal somewhere soon.
2: Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I'm coming down. We're only two hours away, so it's uh,
0: it's like you're down the street. Yeah, let me know when you do. We should all meet up somewhere. That'd be fun. For sure, 100%. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, so Matt. Thanks, so Matt.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.